Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 233 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today, I have the pleasure to speak with Marisol, Daniel's mom. Now, Marisol wrote to me really pretty early after her son Daniel died, as soon as she started listening to the podcast, as a matter of fact. And at that time, I did invite her to share her story in the podcast if she wanted to. And she knew right away that she would. But she also knew right away that that wasn't the time for her to share and that she just wasn't ready to share. So a couple months ago, she wrote to me again and said, I think it's time. I think it's time I share Daniel and Daniel's story with the other listeners because other stories have helped her so much. She wanted to offer that same a bit of help and healing to other people and just really share and become a community with the rest of the Always Annie's Mom listeners. So again, I just want to invite you, if you have thought about sharing your story on the podcast, you certainly can. You absolutely can do that when you feel ready. So if you've written to me in the past and weren't ready and are now, write to me again. Or if you're not ready to share, but you still just want to share your story with me personally, I would be honored to hear it. So right now, I just want you to sit back and listen to Marisol, Daniel's mom. Thank you so much, Marisol, for coming on and talking about your son, Daniel. Hi, Marcy. Thank you very much for inviting me to be part of your program. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear more about him because you wrote to me quite some time ago. Yes, I did. As soon as I learned about your situation, your podcast, I wanted to share my son with you guys. But unfortunately, I was not ready back then. It has been already a year since Daniel transitioned. Mm-hmm. So when I wrote to you, I was not ready to talk about him without right. getting emotional. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's funny to me because that was always kind of my assumption for a long time that no one would want to talk about their story quite quickly because it would just be too hard and too painful. And certainly for me, I feel like I had to be a ways out before I could, you know, saying that. My husband has a podcast. Well, he has two podcasts. And one of them was kind of a medical podcast. And the first one he did after Andy died, we actually did one on Andy, totally unrelated to his normal topic. And so I guess that I did do early, but I kind of was at his request. And I think a little bit to explain to his listeners the pretty long lapse that had happened because he used to put out one or two a week and then suddenly it went several weeks without. And so 
that was fairly early. But for the most part, you know, I didn't start the podcast for a year. And it just never even occurred to me that anyone would be ready to share their story early. So I wouldn't even ask people that wrote if they wanted to share their story right away. But I have since learned that some people do. Some people want to share right away. And so I always can now, if you write to me, I'll say, I always so honored to have people share their stories with me personally. And then I will say, if you at any point would ever like to share it on the podcast, just let me know. And I'm sure I know that's what I would have done with you because that's what I do with everyone. And so that's what gave you permission, I think, to wait those few months until you felt like you were in a different place. Yes. Yeah. Especially to know that I was able to speak without crying. Yeah. Because that's that's the hardest part to to be able, if I wanted everybody to know about my son, I should be able to, to speak, right? So that's why I, I waited for a few months before contacting you back. Mm-hmm. Here I am today. <laughs> And I do have to say that is also the beauty of editing. So sometimes I do interview people and there's quite a long stretch that somebody may break down crying. And you know what we do? We just kind of take that part out because we don't need to have that part there. And it makes people feel better about sounding just a little bit more articulate. So if if someone is listening and they're thinking about telling their story and they're worried about that, don't worry about that. <laughs> Stephanie, my editor, is amazing. And she she will help make everybody sound good. Nice. So don't worry about that at all. But right now, I just want to hear all about your son, Daniel. Sure, sure. I'll give you some background so sure. you have a better idea of who we are. Yeah. My full name is Mary Silvella. And I am Daniel's mom. Mm-hmm. My husband and I, we both are from Ecuador. Okay. So we came to the States looking for better opportunities. Uh-huh. And we were a planners. We planned everything. <laughs> we planned how many kids we wanted to have. We planned the, the activities that we would like for the kids to be involved. So we had everything on a schedule until we decided mm-hmm. to have kids. Mm-hmm. And Daniel is our firstborn. Yeah. So it was October 4th, 2001, when he was born. And he was a big baby. He was a nine pound, 22 inches long baby. <laughs> yeah. My Andy was nine pounds too, actually. He was a big boy. <laughs> he was big, huge baby. And then he was like a tiny kid. It was really crazy. <laughs> no, Daniel, you know, he ended up being pretty tall. He was 5'11". Oh, wow. Okay. And 180 pounds. So he was a big boy. Yeah. And the funny thing is that I am only 4'11". So if you see me, I'm very tiny. (laughs) So they they will, you know, they will normally ask to Daniel, you know, how come you are so tall? Your mom, it's only, you know, so (laughs) little. And my husband is also little. He's only 5'6", barely 5'. Five, five feet, wow. six inches. That is crazy. It's funny. It's actually really funny because my son, Peter, who I talk about all the time in the podcast, my son, Peter, is going on a trip this summer to Ecuador. Oh, wow. And he actually said to me, so he's not very tall. 
you know, no, no in the family is really tall. He's five seven, and he said to me, "The women in Ecuador are short, Mom." Yes, we are. <laughs> so he was excited to go to Ecuador because he'd look really tall yes. at five seven. Yes, so. he will. He will. Yeah. So, and you know, later we had Emily. Emily is Daniel's mm-hmm. sister, and she's also tiny. She's not that tall. She's only, I think that she's five three. So she has the Ecuadorian okay. height. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Crazy, crazy that he ended up so tall. Well, and that's the funny thing that I come from a family who is very tall. So I will say. Oh, really? Yes. I say my family is tall. I am not. And that's why Daniel is so tall. Oh, so he got those jeans. They were hidden in you somewhere. They, yes, they, they were. <laughs> no doubt about uh-huh. it. So Daniel was an extremely healthy boy yeah he was never sick never sick and since he was little he wanted to be a doctor okay whenever he was playing with Emily he would say that he's the doctor of the house and that was his dream I guess and when he was like about five years old he started playing the piano and he had that gift yeah he loved pieces like for example, Fur Elise by Beethoven mm-hmm. or Can Can by Offenbach. And those are, you know, long pieces. Uh-huh. And he just played them so beautifully. So he had that extra, you know, that special gift. You know, Andy was kind of like that too. He was. And I, and I believe he played both of those pieces. I don't know that he played full versions, but he played at least part of both of those pieces. So that that's... That's nice. That warms my mama's heart to hear. Yes hear how similar they were that way. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, when he was in middle school, he attended to multiple work camps. He wanted to okay. help others. That that was always on his mind, to serve the community. So through the church that we used to attend, he went to Niagara Falls in New York. Okay. And he saw the need. And when he came back, he was like, Mom, I cannot believe it. It's a tourist place and it needs a lot of help. So that kept on his on, on his mind. Mm-hmm. And then when he went to high school, he did a lot of sports over there. He was in the swim team, in the track and field team. He did cross country. So, you know, he got all the yeah. the beauty. You know, he was very good academically. He graduated with a 4.6 GPA. So it was pretty high. Oh, my word. It was pretty yeah. high. And um, he decided that he wanted to go to a college that will offer an early assurance program with a medical school. So okay. he, during the time that he was in high school, he was helping the community. Mm-hmm. He was a lifeguard. He was volunteering at the local hospital. He will say, Mom, I prefer to be at the hospital rather than at the school. <laughs> so wow. he always had that in his mind of helping others. Mm-hmm. So whenever it was time to apply, he got acceptance everywhere. Yeah. But he wanted to be close to Niagara Falls hmm. because he knew that that community needed extra help. Okay. And he learned about Canisius College over there. We are from Maryland. We live in Maryland. Right. So we were not familiar at all with 
nothing on West on Western New York. So uh-huh. one day I drove with him and we visited Canisius and I could see how happy he was. I could see that yeah. his eyes were just big and bright about Buffalo yeah. and the whole area. So we talked to the pre-med advisor and they explained to us about the program and how, you know, Daniel will benefit of this early assurance program. So it came July 2020 that Daniel graduated from high school. August came, you know, this is during the pandemic. Right. And um, I was kind of hesitant should he go or better stay home one year but then I said you know it's his time to go he has to go and he has to start his next step so he started in Canisius and same thing he started getting good grades enjoying the community he fell in love with Buffalo I kept telling him Buffalo is so cold <laughs> you right. know, and and he was like, "But it's okay, mom. It's okay. It's it's just fine." So, well, he, he finished his freshman year, and then when he started his sophomore year, he started applying for medical school. That's the program, uh-huh. and um, right. he did all the paperwork, all the volunteer hours. He was helping in Buffalo at the. Um, Sisters of Charity Hospital okay. at Cedar Pediatric Center. Okay. He was helping at the high school, Fidmore, Western New York. He was just putting so many hours for community yeah. service over there. So he just, he was not the regular student that he would go and spend one semester at college and come back home. He was just you know, fitting in the community. He wanted to be there and he wanted to be part of Buffalo. So um, he applied for medical school. He applied to Jacobs School of Medicine, which is part of the university at Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And he went through the interview process and he made it. It was, I think that it was April 23rd, 2022, that he called me and he okay. said, Mom, I I made it. But at the same time, I knew that he was applying for a lot of research positions, that he was applying for a few jobs here and there, mm-hmm. but he didn't say more. So I texted him and I said, where did you get in? I didn't know, you know, yeah. right. you know how right. you know young adults are. They don't say much. Right. Right. So um, he sent me the via email. He sent the, um, the acceptance letter. And yeah. we all were so proud of him. We were so happy because he had worked hard all the time right. since he was in, in since middle school. I feel that he was right. working his way up and he had that big goal. Mm-hmm. So um, that was his, you know that happy time in Daniel's life that he felt that I made it. I came home all the way to Buffalo uh, with this big goal and I made it. So that semester he did pretty good. He got an internship at um, Incan Issues. 
in one of the labs for one of the professors. He was working there and he was very busy, extremely busy. And he called me one day and he said, mom, there's something wrong with my car. And I said, well, you know, go to AutoSan and find out yeah. what it is. And, right, right. And he called me back and he said, this and that is wrong with the car. So I said, Daniel, don't worry about it. We will drive this weekend to Buffalo, pick up that car and come back to Maryland. And that's what we did. Right. But when we were in Buffalo, I noticed that he was thinner. You know, he was a big boy. He was 5'11 and 180 pounds. But that day I saw him kind of like thinner. And I asked yeah. him, I said, Daniel, are you eating well? And he said, yes, mom, I'm eating, you know, very healthy now. I have joined the local uh, gym. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to the gym more often. I have cut sugars. So I'm not eating as much sugars as before. And I'm eating more veggies. So I was happy for that. And I said, yeah, then that makes sense why he's looking a lot thinner. Right. So the next weekend we came back. This was July 3rd to drop off the yeah. car. And um, in that, I also noticed that he was not as, you know, his eyes were not as bright as before. But I didn't say much because I knew that he was eating better, that he was right. doing a lot of exercise and that he was busy. Yeah, right, right. So we, we returned to Maryland, you know, but something in my heart was telling me that something was wrong with Daniel. And I didn't know, you know, I, I kept thinking and, and I said, I don't think that it is something academics because, you know, he just finished yeah. the semester and he did pretty good right. and he's doing this great internship. And I was really thinking that he was going towards the wrong path. Yeah. And, and I kept praying and I kept saying, I hope that's not what it is. Yeah. And the following weekend, it was July 9th. That he called me and he said, Mom, look, I've been running fever for almost three days now. And yesterday we had a, a banquet and I couldn't eat. And I knew Daniel eats a lot. Yeah. So yeah. I said, how do you feel this morning? And he said, I'm just not me. So I told him, why don't you go to the urgent care? Yeah. And, you know, tell them what's wrong with you. And you call me and let me know what happened. So he went. He was this type of boy that he was 20 years old. And he will say, yes, mommy. Yes. As you said it, I will do everything the way that you said. He will never say no to me. Mm -hmm. You know, he was just pleasing mom all the time. That's that's how Daniel was. Yeah. So, and I was happy, right? Because I, I didn't have to fight with him. I didn't have to be like a broken record telling him over and over what to do. He was just pleasing mom all the time. So that's what he did. He went to the urgent care and he said, mom, they think that I have pneumonia. And they sent me for to get my medicine at the local pharmacy. So it sounded right to me. I said, okay, you know, he's running fever. Yeah. And if they didn't see anything else, pneumonia makes sense. And he also mentioned that his co-workers, they had the flu or they were fighting some virus, he said. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So then I thought that, okay, maybe he's also fighting the same virus. And yeah. it was like my heart got a little bit into peace that I said, okay, right. we know what it is. And it's going to take a few days plus the medicine. He will be fine. It was around five in the afternoon that he called me and he said, mom, the doctor from the urgent care just called me. And he said that I need to run to the emergency room at Sisters Hospital. This is the hospital where Daniel used to be the water boy. Right. The hospital where he was volunteered. Right. So he he knew his way around. And I said to him, okay, and why is that? And Daniel said, because he saw a mass on my chest. So in that moment, I knew that something was really wrong, that it was no pneumonia, that it was something that that needed a lot of attention. So I mentioned that to my husband, and we flew. That moment, we went to the airport in Baltimore. That's the closest airport for us. And we had to wait until the last flight we didn't know, but there was a last flight to Buffalo every evening. So we waited until close to 11.30 or midnight for that flight. And we got to Buffalo late. And it was just since that moment that we arrived in Buffalo, everything changed. As soon as we got into the hospital, the security, you know, at midnight, they don't let you in, right? They will, you know, ask you, why are you here? Right. Uh, in that moment, they were like, you are Daniel's parents from Maryland. They knew. They knew that we were on yeah. our way. So we said yes. And the security guard, very kind, he said, uh, Daniel is over here. Called. So they took us to the room where Daniel was. And the doctors were with him, but they didn't mention anything to Daniel. In the meantime, they performed all the tests that they needed. And as soon as we got there, they explained what they have seen. They said that they did a a CT scan, an MRI, Mm -hmm. tons of blood tests. My husband and I, we are not in the medical field. We are in the IT field. So we don't know much, you know, just the, the you know, common things. Yeah, right. And we have been a family who has been very healthy. So we haven't been at the doctor's office so much for us to, to know more. So right. I, I was just surprised. And I was, I kept asking, why so many tests? Why a CT scan? Why an MRI? You know, why all of that? I don't come from a family with a history of cancer. Mm -hmm. So that was not in my head. When they mentioned that they have called already the oncologist and that the oncologist will come on Sunday morning to talk to us. So for me, it was like like a shock. 
you know, Daniel gives me this information in the afternoon. In the evening, they have done a lot of tests on Daniel. And then in the morning, the oncologist is going to come and talk to us. The first thing that came to my mind, it was, wow, they are very productive. I was surprised on how fast they did everything. Because I remember when I was in delivery for Daniel and Emily, I had to wait. <laughs> and in this case, they did everything so fast. So I was so surprised on how the medicine works in Buffalo. I was like, these doctors are, you know, wonderful if they do everything so fast. But that was because I didn't know how critical yeah. his condition was. Yeah, I have to do it fast. Yep. Yes, too fast. Mm -hmm. So in the morning, the doctor came. And these are wonderful doctors. These are just angels. And remember that I don't know anybody in Buffalo. Because we are a family from Maryland. And we don't have much family in the States either. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, for me... When we were talking to these doctors, it was the oncologist, the um, chest surgeon, the primary doctor who read Daniel's x-ray at the urgent care. He came, even though he was not part of the hospital, but he wanted to be there with Daniel. So to me, that was extra special that yeah. they, they were him knowing that he was alone, that his family was not in Buffalo, and that we were new to the area. So when they explained, they said, Daniel has germ cell cancer, stage three. Mm -hmm. I never heard about it. Yeah. It's a very rare type of cancer. It is part of the testicular cancer, mm -hmm. but it had moved. Right to the mediastinum, mm -hmm. and that's where it was growing. So we never, my husband and I, we never, that term germ cell, we never heard about it before. So we started, after we talked to the doctors, we started Googling. That's the first thing that comes to your mind, right? When you don't know something, you just go to sure, Google sure. and try to find out. Yep, <laughs> yep Dr. Google. Yes, <laughs> it, it was like that, that, that we wanted to, to learn a little bit more. You know, the doctors, they explained to us, but when you are in shock, you don't understand anything of what they are saying. No, you sure don't, you sure don't. You know, and they use so many terms that... We are not familiar. Yeah. So we started reading whatever Google was pulling about germ cell cancer. And it has different types. And unfortunately, Daniel had the combination of a benign and a malignant. Oh. So in his case, it was a little bit harder to treat. Mm -hmm. So... We knew that the tumor was about like five inches. Okay. Uh, so it was pretty big. Yeah. And they said, we need to start chemotherapy right away. Right. So um, 
they explained to us that because of the size of the tumor, it was kind of like the lung was filled with uh, liquid. Right. Which is what makes it made them think that he had pneumonia. Yes. Because when you listen to the lungs, it can sound crackly like pneumonia does. And if you're not really good at reading x-rays, you might see that mass at the beginning and think that it was a pneumonia, which likely the people at the urgent care thought until they had a formal radiologist read it, yes. which is why that would have set off the antibiotics and done all that and then called back. But I do have to say I'm very happy and proud of that urgent care staff that did the x-ray because... Sometimes you send them to those places and they, they don't always do the x-ray and they just listen and, and just stick them on antibiotics. And then the diagnosis would have been pushed off who knows how long. Yes. So it, it it was good and it's always good to have those formally read. So, I mean, obviously things did not end up great for Daniel, but they did do everything in the right way they did. for sure. And that that's got to be a little bit reassuring. Yes, yes. So they explained that they needed to get the liquid from the lung. Mm -hmm. And it was two liters of liquid that he had. Oh, my word. So, yes. That's an unbelievable amount. Just It's a lot. As a physician, I'm telling you, that's an unbelievable amount of fluid to pull out. I don't know how he was breathing comfortably at all. I'm going to explain how. <laughs> Daniel was a swimmer. Oh, okay. And the doctor said, they asked to Daniel, and I said, what type of sport do you do? And Daniel said, well, I used to be a swimmer, not anymore because I'm busy with all of my, you know, obligations at college. And they said, yeah, that's why. That's why you didn't yeah. feel those two liters there. You, sh you should have really felt it. I mean, the average person would have really felt it yes sure. and and that shows how healthy he was you know how strong right. he was so um, when they explain about his this combination of benign and malignant tumor they gave us the name of non-seminoma mm -hmm. that was the type of tumor that he had so they explained that the chemotherapy was going to be an aggressive chemotherapy that will be during five days, he will get the medication and then he will have like two weeks off and come back for the second cycle. And they will do that for like about four cycles. Mm -hmm. And after that, um, they were expecting that the tumor will shrink. And then the... Um, chest surgeon will come and remove it. Right. So everything sounded, you know, like, like a good plan. Right. So we, we trusted, we said, yes, this is, this is going to work the way that they explained to us. And, you know, when Daniel started, he, when they did all the testing, he started his uh, treatment with uh, 13,000 level of AFPs. That's how they, they measure for this type of yeah, that's cancer. Alpha fetoprotein. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's what it is. And which is high. 
So extremely high. Yes. So after the first chemotherapy, it dropped to like about eleven thousand. So we were thinking this is working. After the second chemotherapy, it dropped into the three thousand. Okay. So we were excited that the treatment is working. When he went to the third cycle, his levels were were in the low two hundreds. Okay. So everything everything seems to be fine. Daniel was back to school. Mm-hmm. He started his junior year. Yeah. And even though he was tired, but he was so excited to continue his education. Right. And a little bit before his fourth cycle, this is September of 2022, uh, they did a CT scan, an X-ray again, and they noticed that the tumor didn't shrink. The tumor stayed there. The tumor was there. And that Daniel had developed some type of blockage on his lungs. So after that, it was like everything came back again. Because then we realized that for the cancer, the treatment work, but for the benign tumor, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So then we learned that the chemotherapy, the one that he was given, which is a, it's called a VIP, Mm -hmm. it's a VIP, didn't work as expected. So they said, we're going to give him another chemotherapy that will be, probably this is going to work better so they started with it yeah i mean it's hard just to go back to chemotherapy and why it works on malignant cells and not on benign cells so malignant cells grow very very quickly usually and benign cells and are usually not so quickly growing so when you go on chemotherapy chemotherapy is always going against fast growing cells which is why you know, with most chemotherapies or many chemotherapies, your hair falls out Mm -hmm. because hair is very, very fast growing. You're growing hair every single day. And so when it it attacks all those really fast growing cells, it's why there's a lot of tummy upset. And because those cells in your intestine are always growing and always changing. And that's why you have so many of the side effects that you have. But when, when benign tumors or you can even go with some leukemias. You can have acute leukemias or chronic leukemias. Acute leukemias are much easier to treat because they're they're very, very aggressive and you get sick very quickly, but those cells are multiplying so quickly, the chemotherapies have a better chance to work. With a chronic leukemia, it's much, much slower growing and it's just harder to target cells that are slower growing. So that's likely why... You know, it it was so effective against those malignant cells, but not so effective against the others. So yeah. just to give people a little bit of background on to why that would be. Yes. So then we found out a new name. Uh-huh. Now they said that Daniel has a teratoma. Okay. Yeah. That's how they called to this type of tumors that kept growing. And 
they tried another set of chemotherapy. This was BEP. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what they mean right now, you know. And um, then we talked to a um, chest surgeon. Yeah. And he mentioned that because of the size of the teratoma, he couldn't remove it. Right. Because it was embedded in the chest walls. Yeah. And the next step for Daniel was to go through an autologous stem cell transplant, which they told us, you know, they explained so well to us. And they said, this is based on high dose chemotherapy. So this is going to kind of like kill that teratoma. And then Daniel will be able to have the surgery. Of course, this doesn't take like few days. It will take some months. But after that, uh, the teratoma itself can be removed. So we were happy. You know, we were excited that there was hope that there was something else for Daniel. And they mentioned that for this autologous transplant, they were going to put some medication so they can produce more white cells. White blood cells, uh uh-huh. Yes, and then they will take those white cells out of Daniel's body so they can put them back after the high-dose chemotherapy. And that will help for his body to heal faster and to recover faster. So Daniel did pretty good once they put the medication, you know, for this treatment. One, two days later, he was fine. But on the third day, I noticed that he was very exhausted, that he was very tired. And we used to go for small walks. And that day, Daniel said, Mom, I don't feel like going for a walk. I'm... He was not breathing us before. So um, we took him back to Roswell Cancer Center. That's where Daniel was treated. And that's why we stay in Buffalo, because he wanted to be at Roswell. He kept saying, Mom, all the doctors from Roswell from Buffalo General Hospital and from the Children's Center, they are teachers at Jacobs. Yeah. And they will be my future teachers. Yeah. So I don't want to go back to Maryland. I like to have my treatment in Buffalo. And we decided, you know, we couldn't say no, Daniel. Let's go back home. We said that's his wish. Let's make it possible. You know, and it made a lot of sense to us because we said he will continue his life as normal, even though he's doing, you know, his treatment, he will continue. Back in Maryland, he will have to stop everything. So so that's how we did. And that's how, you know, we ended up at at Roswell um, Cancer Center. So we took him back there and... This was November 29, 2022. And they did a lot of tests. And they told us, 
but unfortunately, the tumor grew more. Yeah. And now that his left lung had collapsed completely and that there was nothing else that they could offer for Daniel, just comfort care. So wow. we were in shock. Yeah. Second time, we were in shock. Right. We we were not expecting because we knew that he had collected all of those blood cells that they wanted and that everything was fine. And then we were like, how can this be that, you know, yesterday he was fine and today you are telling me that there's nothing. Yeah. So, and that's what happens, you know, with cancer that it it just progressed. The tumor grew more. Mm -hmm. And even though they were, they had a lot of meetings between the doctors and they were trying to figure out how, how to save this boy. Even if they removed the tumor, because the way that it was, Daniel was going to lose a lot of blood. Yeah. So they were telling us, there's no way for us to go at this point. Right. So they just offer comfort, care for Daniel, and Daniel transitioned on December 2nd, 2022, and he was 21 when he transitioned. Yeah. And during the time, you know, that, that we were in Buffalo, and that's why I also wanted to be in, in your podcast, because... We are from Maryland. Mm -hmm. We don't know much about Western New York. We just know that the weather is bad, that it's cold. <laughs> right. But we didn't know that Buffalo and the Buffalonians are considered to be the city of good neighbors. Yeah. We didn't know that. That's wonderful. And I didn't understand why Daniel didn't want to come back home. I I just couldn't put one to one together because I didn't know that I kept saying why he wants to stay in Buffalo when it's so cold. I know that medical school is going to be there. I know that his future is going to be for the next eight years over there. But what is it with Buffalo? When Daniel gets sick, then we learn. It's the people. Yeah. It's the community. It's that they like to help. As soon as we get to Buffalo at Sisters Hospital, all the doctors, technicians, you know, nurses, everybody, they knew that we were coming from Maryland. And they offer their houses they offer food to us. They were like, if you need to shower, my apartment is only two blocks away. Go over there. Wow. Once the, the, the hospital learned that we were, you know, we just came from Maryland, they came and they said, we're going to put Daniel in a suite. It's not a big place, but it's big enough so you guys can stay there. And they provide us uh, with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm -hmm. And we stay at Sisters Hospital for 10 days with Daniel. 
Once they learned that we were staying in Buffalo, they put us in contact with the Kevin's House. Mm -hmm. And this is an organization that offers housing for people who are going through treatments at any of the hospitals in Buffalo. So we stay there while Daniel was sick. We stay at Kevin's house. Wow. And then we saw every time that Daniel was in and out, Roswell Cancer Center, they treated him with so much love. Sometimes I could not even believe what I was seeing because, you know, once when I had Daniel and when I had Emily, I was at the hospital in Maryland. I was not treated that way. Nobody made me feel special. And and over here, everyone, it doesn't matter if you are just coming in the building, everyone at these hospitals, they are just nice. They just want you to feel that you are at home, that you are comfortable. And they want, I, I have the feeling that they want to give to everyone hope yeah. that there's a reason why you are there mm-hmm. and there's a reason why you are important for them because they are also fighting for you, for you to get better. Yeah, that's beautiful, beautiful. You know, our experience with Buffalo is just amazing. You know, we've been in, in Maryland for 26 years now. And it's just as it is that close community that probably when you are in a big city, you know, close to the capital, you don't have that feeling. Yeah, maybe not. And in Buffalo and in other cities, which are smaller, not too crowded, not too busy, then you got that feeling of we are here for you. Yeah. And that was special. That is special. Really special. And the same thing with Canisius College, you know, as soon as they learned that Daniel was sick, they were with us. And, and you know, we were in Maryland. We didn't know any of the faculty members. We knew a few of Daniel's classmates, but not many. Yeah. So, you know, and he was already 20. It's not like when he was in high school that I could go and pick him up and meet his yeah. friends, right? So, right. but, you know, and they were communicating with Daniel, giving their support to Daniel. And of course, you know, we didn't know. Only, you know, whenever Daniel will mention something and whenever he will say, my friend or or this teacher or this advisor, they will come and say hello. Then, then we knew that they were coming. So we mm-hmm. we were able to meet them. But as soon as Canisius College learned that Daniel had passed, they contacted us. They were like, we'd like to offer a mass for Daniel and also to do a celebration of his life. And this was this was beautiful because, you know, that showed us again that Daniel was in the right place for him, in a beautiful place for him. Yeah. And I remember the father of the the priest of the of the church at Canisius College, he asked, he said, how many people do you think that will come for his mass? And I said, no more than 20. 
it's only us, our daughter Emily. She will come from Annapolis. She goes to the Naval Academy. Mm -hmm. And she was going to be able to come. Megan, who is uh, Daniel's girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, few of the friends that we have met, no more than 20. That was what I said. The day of his celebration of life, that church was full. All of his classmates, people from Maryland, my family from Ecuador, my brother from Seattle, his friends, they all came. Emily's friends, they came to Buffalo. Yeah. And if if you remember, last year Buffalo got a lot of snow. <laughs> yeah. And even though, you know, with the weather being like that, and knowing that it was snowing so much in Buffalo, they came. They came to honor day. And that's pretty that's beautiful. That's our story. That's our story with, with Daniel. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. It's a sad story, but there's some beauty in the end there too, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that I wanted to, to share. You know, because yeah. not many people knows about Roswell Cancer Center. Not many people knows about Canisius College. And and I feel that that's my mission now, to let everybody know about these places. And for you to really very publicly say thank you. Yes. Thank you for taking care of my boy. Thank you for caring so much. Yes, and that's, you know, and that's a special. That's a special for us because we were in a place that we didn't know anybody. But right. the support that we found was like an army. <laughs> it was so big that we never felt alone. We we had so many doctors with Daniel all the time. That that was special because I remember that it was not only one oncologist, there were like three or four that they were talking right. to us. And everyone was just being so nice. So mm -hmm. the love that they gave us just made our journey not to be so difficult. Right. And I guess that because of that support, we didn't see how sick our son was. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm thankful for that because if I had just a little bit of maybe doubt on his treatment, yeah. probably I was not going to be able to support Daniel on the same way that we did. Right. And this is thanks to them. Right. You know, because they were there. As soon as we call and, and you know, we talk and say, Daniel is not feeling well, he's running fever. They were like, bring him over. And as soon as that we got to Roswell, you know, someone was there. So it was, mm -hmm. you know, our experience, it was very, and, and I don't think that it's just us. I think that this is no. for, you know, 
everybody who goes to these great places. And and that's how I feel now that that's my mission to let others know. Yeah. And how to do things right. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember, you know, some people will say, but you didn't ask the doctors to do this and to do that. And sometimes that comes to your mind like, oh, maybe I was supposed to do it. But then I, I said, no, because they know what they are doing. Yeah. I, I don't know what they are doing. You know, I'm, my job there was to support my son, to take my son from my house to the hospital when the doctor said, bring him over. My job was not to make their work difficult. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's how I feel now that that we had the right people around us. Daniel had the right treatment. And even though I miss him so much, I want to yeah. see him, of course. But I also understand that he got sick. Yeah. And they did the best that they could for him. Yep. Yep. They certainly did. They certainly did. They did everything right. And sometimes you do everything right and it still ends up the same. And I'm just glad that you can have that reassurance knowing that everything was done. Yes, they did. They could have been done. They they did. And mm-hmm. it's been a year yeah. with a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. It's not easy. And I know yeah. we both share the same bond. Yeah. A child in a spirit. Yeah. And we know that that is it's difficult. As a mothers, we want to see our kids. We want to hug them. But at the same time, we want the best for them. Right. And when I learn about people who have survived cancer, I feel so happy for them. Yes. But I don't know if my son was going to survive cancer for one or two years and then something else else will come. Yeah. So in that, I learned that I needed to stop thinking on the future. Mm-hmm. Before I was thinking on the future, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I learned that I need to concentrate on my present, yeah. on what I'm doing now, because I don't know what the future right. has for me. We don't know. Right. You are 100% right. I learned to stop thinking about the ifs and whys. And um, I needed to find support. And we do have support from our family, from our friends, but it's not the same. Right. If people is not walking on your shoes, they can provide you all the support and be there for you. But they cannot understand 100% how you feel. Right. So in order for for me, I started attending to grieving support groups. Mm-hmm. So I joined uh, Grief Share yeah. and I go there every Tuesday. And the lady who facilitates the program, she also lost her son when he was 15. So she has been for us 
an example yes. that even though this is very painful, we still can continue walking, not as a whole, not as a whole. No. There's always going to be this broken piece on us, but we, but we still have that opportunity to continue, yeah. you know, the following chapters. It is so helpful when you have someone that's ahead of you in that journey that you can look to and say, okay, she went through this. Yes. Maybe I can too, right? Yes. Maybe I can. Because, you know, when something like this happens, it's not like this happens to everybody. You know, no. everybody can go out and get a flu. <laughs> and, you know, they will recover. But not everybody has a child in a spirit. So yeah. at the beginning, it is like, we don't understand why this is happening. Mm -hmm. And then when we met this group of people who are walking ahead of us, it's like they know they've been there. So now they are part of our family. Yeah. Now they become our extended family. Yes. And sometimes more important to you than your actual biological family. You know? I mean, not that you want to tell your family that, but there are things that they can understand and supports that they can give you that your own biological family just can't do. Yes, because they don't know. Yeah, they don't know. And they don't understand and that's something that we learn because people will say, be strong. <laughs> and in my head, I will be like, what do you mean with be strong? I'm a strong. I'm, I'm healthy, right? Yeah. So, or people will say, that's what, you know, that's the path that you need to walk. And sometimes those words are hard. Some, yeah. Sometimes you feel like, you know, how can they say those things? I know. They're meaning them to be helpful, but they actually sometimes can hurt. They are. Believe it or not. Yeah, they, yeah. they do. Uh -huh. They do. So going through this grieving group, then I learned that I was not the only one who was getting this advice of being strong or that people will say, I know, I know for what you're feeling or for what you're going through. And I was like, no, you are not. You don't know because you haven't been where I am. No. But I learned to forgive them. I learned to keep myself quiet and just smile or just hug them. And just, you know, say it in my mind. It's okay. They are just trying to help. They don't know. They are just trying to help. Well, you are a very understanding, race-filled woman then. <laughs> I learned to be. I learned to be because at the beginning, you want to say so many things back to them. <laughs> yeah. But then I realized that they don't know. And some of our friends they have been a little bit 
away from us. And it's not because they don't want to be around us. It's just that they don't know. Yeah, they don't know how. And sometimes they feel even not sure if they should mention Daniel's name or not. Yes, but they should. They should. Yes, yes, because, and I keep telling them, thank you. Thank you for mentioning yeah. my son. Thank yeah. you for saying his name, even though I cry, but it makes right. me happy. Yes, right, because you know they didn't forget him. Yes. And that's so precious to know that they didn't forget him. Yes, and, and that is the beauty of this grief share group, that we talk about them, mm-hmm. and we tell their stories over and over. And there's always something, you know, that will make us smile. Right. Of course, there's always something that we will remember and we will cry together. Right. But it's that support that that they give us, the opportunity to talk about our kids. And it's the same opportunity that you are giving also. Right. Right. It's just the same. It's just the same. So we can feel not so alone and in community with each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and and it's great. So as soon as I learned about your podcast and I listened to many of the episodes, it was like, it's not only us. Mm-hmm. This happened. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how. It doesn't matter the situation. But it happened to our kids. And we are walking together. Well, thank you so much for sharing Daniel with us today and for sharing your stories and your bits of wisdom, because really, I know you are early, early, early in your grief because it's just over a year, but you've got a lot of bits of wisdom to share. So thank you for sharing those. Thank you, Marcy. Thank you for this opportunity. And I just feel that I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed that I have met you and I have met a lot of people online you know, through the podcast and every single story, it's a special story for me. Yeah. And every single one is a blessing. So thank you for blessing us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can type Andy's mom, one word, to the number 53555. This provides a link to GiveButter, which allows donations through PayPal, Venmo, Apple Pay, or credit cards. GiveButter will provide a receipt of your tax-deductible donation. Or you can visit the donation page at andysmom.com donate. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 and can receive donations through Thrivent Financial and Benevity. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com or on the Instagram or Facebook Always Andy's Mom accounts. Sign up for the email list to get weekly episode links as well as pictures of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.